Welcome back to the Neuroscience Meets SEL podcast, episode 24. This is Andrea Samadhi. Our very special guest today, Dr. Jeff Rose, is the founder of Leading Ed Solutions, a community of school superintendents and leaders providing solutions, strategy, and support so that no one has to lead alone. His successful podcast, Leading Education, focuses on innovative conversations surrounding the most important topics that our modern schools face that are relevant to anyone who wants to lead in education and beyond. The topics he tackles are applicable to any leadership position, providing the most up-to-date ideas and strategies around these enormous concepts that require new ways of thinking for improvement and change. Jeff has a proven track record of innovation and an unrelenting focus on student achievement. He's the former superintendent of Fulton County Schools, which is Atlanta, Georgia's fourth largest school district, responsible for the leadership, administration, and management of over 96,000 students, 105 schools, 14,000 employees, and a $1.1 billion general fund budget. During his 23 years in education, he served as a classroom teacher, principal, and a director of school improvement. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you so much for coming on today to share what you're doing to support educational leadership. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Jeff, I love your work and your podcast definitely inspired me to get moving on mine over the summer. So I want to dive into some questions to hear your perspective on a few of the topics that I thought were the most relevant in our schools and communities today. Sure, sure. So I've heard you say that education is the perfect mess because when we're working, we're going to have challenges and everyone has an opinion about these challenges. And I've also heard this as it relates to business. What led you to launch your company, Leading Ed Solutions? Was it to tackle some of the most challenging problems education has seen? And when did you first start thinking about this idea? So that's a good question. I'll start with um, your earlier point with uh, the podcast. I know we've, we've connected over the podcast idea and, you know, you've definitely far surpassed any sort of, you know, podcast expectations that I even have for myself. So um, I've had a lot of fun with that. I actually will get into kind of why I started that, but Leading Ed Solutions really uh, does have a very strong kind of why as its kind of central motivator. I was going back, I, I've been a superintendent in three different districts for the past, you know, over 12 years. Um, uh, one kind of high school town in, you know, outside of Portland, Oregon, Canby, Oregon. Great, great school district, great place to live. That's where we lived. Beaverton School District after that um, for uh, a number of years. Loved that place. You know, 40 Forty something thousand students, fifty-six schools, and such a great diverse community. Before moving here to Fulton County in Georgia, so my perspective, my recent perspective around leadership is around that kind of superintendent seat. And so I started leading at solutions because I think there there are these kind of couple of problems which really drive our why. Number one, I think educators, uh, leaders, superintendents sit in a very isolated seat. It just is, you know, there's a lot of political reasons and ramifications as to why that is the case. Um, and there's nothing you can do about that. You know, you can say the serenity prayer and that's kind of it, right? Because it just is. So that kind of being problem number one and problem number two, 
while every district has their own nuanced challenges specific to their community, there are some problems of practice that every district, small, medium, and large, throughout the country and beyond are struggling with. And to be quite honest, I have not found in my years the traditional modes of supporting leaders to be as effective as they could or should be. I don't, uh, the conference model, um, I've been to some great conferences, but I don't think that they have the impact that they could or should. You know, they're kind of that one and done and sit and get, and what we know around learning, especially around leading, that's not necessarily best practice. So I started leading Ed Solutions to create a structure, almost the conditions, to help leaders make good decisions. And so that's kind of our why, um, our, our what really is around getting the right leaders together. So we've been recruiting for the past number of months. We are not doing a mass marketing campaign. We really just targeted specific school districts throughout the country to start really only about 3% of school districts we've reached out to. And we're creating a community of leaders. And that community of leaders will have somewhat of a rhythm. We do get together twice a year. We don't call them conferences for obvious reasons. We call them gatherings. But the majority of the time is sitting around a table, problem in the middle of the table, going through a facilitated conversation around pragmatic leadership strategies that align to the particular problem as opposed to admiring research or quote best practice or white papers, we're gonna talk about how you actually lead best practice. And so we're in the midst of that process right now and creating that community and uh, it's going really well. It's almost like a mastermind. I see it a lot in business. You get a bunch of thinkers together in a room and you mastermind a strategy. Yeah, that, that, that's right. I mean, I've learned over time that regardless of my experience, I'm not equipped to uh, give all the advice or the direction because, you know, leading is so nuanced to kind of where and how you lead. And I honor that. I believe in collective wisdom. And so I believe our job is to create the conditions so leaders are helping each other relative to pragmatic strategies. And yes, I think that it'll serve as an incredible think tank. Imagine the content that we're going to have a year from now, two years from now, based upon our problems of practice, because we're only focusing on one thing at a time. That's the other thing, too, is poor superintendents, all leaders, it's coming at all angles. So our concept is let's take a, a significant problem of practice in year one. It's student safety, physical and social emotional safety of kids, and let's lean into it. Let's circle up and uh, let's work together and come away being supported by other leaders engaged in the same challenges. Well, I think it's brilliant. I love it. I love hearing your point of view. But in the very beginning of listening to your podcast, one concept stuck out to me. And it mm -hmm. was about how lonely leadership is at the top and how you had to get used to this feeling. And unless we walked in your shoes or or even as someone in business in the corporate world who has to leave. You think, oh, you know, wouldn't it be nice you get to fly all over the country? And for those who are given this responsibility is so important. And um, so did, did you launch your business and the podcast to really bridge the gap between, you know, what, what it's really like for a school superintendent or leader so that we can 
hear that perspective? I did. I think that um, what I've learned over time is we, we do a lot of, unfortunately, uh, judging based upon positionality in organizations. You know, we tend to look to leaders and make assumptions about what their job is like without, of course, having any idea. And that can be at all levels, right? So it could be a teacher making assumptions about a principal's job. A yeah. uh, principal making assumptions around, you know, maybe what happens at the central office. By the way, parents make lots of assumptions about what a teacher's job is or should be, etc. And I find that uh, to be unfortunate because actually it demonstrates a lack of empathy. And empathy is really important in our ability to come together and focus on what's most important, which is kids, right? And a leader's job, especially superintendent's job, is extremely lonely and isolated. It just is. And people make assumptions about what that's like, but they don't know, right? I didn't know before I did it. And that's not just around a superintendent position. Like you said, all businesses have a leader. A CEO can often have a different conversation with another CEO. I mean, I've been involved in a lot of leadership groups, even outside of education. And leaders just take on this responsibility and can understand what it's like to be isolated because often there's only one of you in an organization and everyone is counting on you. And I actually think that the best strategy sometimes to creating ability to empathize is just to let people see under the hood, is just to open up discourse around this is actually what's really happening and what's not happening. So I started the podcast for fun before I even launched Leading Ed Solutions. It was because a good friend of mine, my co-host, Jason Pace, he's actually a business partner of mine. And he's a small group member through my church as well. And he said, let's just talk for a while. Let's start a podcast. And I thought, yeah, uh-uh, I'm not gonna start a podcast. Why would I do that? Right. And he said, because you have a lot of opinions and I had just decided to leave my post as superintendent in Fulton County and he said, you know, it'll be fun. Let's just keep your voice going. And so that's why I started. And then over time, I'm learning about how important it is to let people see under the hood. Um, and it helps, hopefully, my goal is to just kind of help, like you say, bridge the gap around what's most important as it relates to sometimes the complex system of education, because it's a bureaucracy. But how can we help break down those barriers? Because it puts us all on the same page, because we should be there for the same reason, which is to support our youth. Yeah, it was eye-opening. Even me listening in Arizona to you, feeling so connected to what you're saying and relating it to the business world and how other people feel, not thinking this is how a school superintendent would feel. It was just probably the first time. I've got friends who have elevated to that position, and they don't talk about this kind of stuff at all. They just talk about, you know, well, this is what I'm doing, I'm leading. And to hear your perspective was completely different. So I think it's yeah. so smart that, that you're doing this to bring awareness. And I, you know, I will continue to learn. I, I do this podcast and I'm, I'm terrible at promoting it. I don't even know how to do that. So I just do it and uh, it's been out there. It's gained some traction. I'm thrilled to hear that you're listening to it in Arizona. Um, I have a lot to learn as it relates to promoting. I, that's not been my uh, skill set. So, you know, I'm 
still figuring things out as an entrepreneur, et cetera. And the podcast has just been almost a relief for me. It's been fun. I think it's doing great. And in one of those episodes in the earlier, in the beginning of, of the show, you talk about the biggest concern you hear from parents in the community is the rise in student anxiety these days. And I'm seeing it here in my local community in Chandler, Arizona. This time last year, we actually hit 31 child teen suicides in 15 months. And it's a huge concern for, you know, parents in the community thinking about our kids and their, their anxiety to perform academically, elementary, middle, high school, and I'm even seeing it's going into higher ed. And then I heard your interview with David Smith and Kathy Murphy from the Summit Counseling Center, and it opened my eyes to the fact that we really do need to involve the community to bring more awareness to discussion around mental health issues. What do you think is a good call to action for parents to support this dialogue, first of all? around mental health and making sure I'm not stressing out my own kids by doing too much? So um, this, is a, this is a great question. So I applaud you for asking it because it, there's, there's so much there. Um, and I am worried. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things in education that I actually think are improving over the decades. Sometimes despite public opinion, we're, we're getting better at a lot of things. This is a particular area that I think we're actually backsliding in. Um, issues of student anxiety, uh, depression, teen suicide, which is at an all-time high right now throughout the country. And there's a variety of reasons that cause uh, such anxiety and depression and issues of mental illness with our youth. Um, and I won't diagnose that. It just, it just is. Um, when I would gather parents as an educational leader, when we would sometimes stop talking about all the noise and initiatives and just say, so what's going on? What's it like? Um, it often, almost always went into the kind of anxiety kids were facing. And then the pressure, there's so much pressure. So I'll just pause and say, I'm not giving any parenting advice. I learned my lesson as a principal. I was a principal before I was a parent. And for some reason, I was so ridiculous, I would actually sometimes give advice when people would ask me, as though I knew anything. Okay, I didn't, and that was just silly of me to do. Um, and then I am a parent now. I have a, I have a junior in high school, and I have an eighth grader, and I'm still not equipped to give parenting advice. So it's, it's a very, very difficult, hard job. But um, I'll give kind of some educational perspective. I think that um, we've created an animal. I think that, you know, the, the tale of higher ed wagging the dog of K-12 has created uh, this myth as it relates to academic rigor that I think is really unfortunate. Um, it's almost like a rigor rat race. And I, I've never used that term before. I just made it up. But I think... The dilemma is we have an assumption that success for our kids in school means a certain GPA. It means a certain number of AP courses, IB courses. And I don't have a problem with rigor. I think that's good. I think that we've gone way too far. I think that we can't track 
AP credits to any sort of long-term success of students as it relates to navigating careers in the world. And college entry, yes. Uh, college graduation, yes. Um, but in the meantime, there's so much more to navigating this complex place. I mean, it's true, right? We're educating kids for their future, not our past. That's not my quote, but it's true. Education is not about helping kids be good at school. Education is preparing kids for navigating life when they leave school. And in this day and age, that creates a need for, you know, strategic thinkers, creative thinkers, which is more than just AP credits. And I just think that the level of pressure and how we're defining success for students um, has created a lot of unfortunate pressure. And we can't solve everything. We can't solve the social media pressures in, by snapping our fingers. But one thing we could solve as parents and as schools is gaining some perspective about what education should be about, um, which is not some of the high pressure that I think we put on kids. So that would be my advice. And I struggle through it too. I, my wife and I sometimes won't allow my daughter to take a certain number of AP courses because we were trying to get her to take a breath, even though she's a very successful student. And it's a little bit of a battle at home, but it's a battle worth having. That's exactly what we're doing over here because my girls, they're age 10 and 8, and they're at a race to always get 90s and hit their distinguished honor roll and oh my goodness I've got an 89 I'm not I'm only going to be on a roll and this is the first year that I've actually said you know what it's okay let's just take a breath what's the worst case scenario you're only on a roll the world isn't going to crash you still have two arms two legs it's the first time as a parent that I stopped pushing because of the anxiety that I'm seeing it's creating so Absolutely, but it's definitely a shift because my husband and I are both in education and we we've always dealt with programs to increase academic achievement. So it's a difficult switch to suddenly say, take a break, go rollerblading, and it's okay. Because I'm used to saying Sunday, let's quickly study for the spelling test so we can get a hundred. And now I'm trying to change that. It's it's definitely a shift. Yeah, it is. It's a hard balance to find. It really is. And I think that, you know, unfortunately, you know, here we are trying really hard to help um, students increase rigor, especially students who traditionally struggle in schools, which sometimes align to a lot of issues of, you know, poverty in certain circumstances. But in the meantime, we have seen our traditionally successful students now starting to struggle in a very new way because of this pressure that has been created, which, once again, does not necessarily align to long-term life success. I mean, we've all seen, many of us have seen research on the, the student the valedictorian research. Valedictorians, do we assume that they're going to be the most successful? They're actually not. Wow. The valedictorian is not the student who is the most successful, and they've done longitudinal research around this. So... I mean, you know, GPA is important, but there are other things that are important too. Exactly. It's definitely a big shift these days. 
But what about our schools? So I heard the rise of suicides in my area. I actually had posters created and they were inspired by a teen who stood up in one of my presentations when he heard the statistics. He was from Toronto and he heard, you know, the US statistics for teen suicides. And he stood up and he said, how is it that we know to stop, drop and roll when we're on fire, but we don't know what to do at all when we're struggling mentally or emotionally? And the room was full of superintendents and district leaders and they all gasped. I remember just hearing like, he's right. And so that led us to create some posters around, you know, what to do, how to recognize the signs and symptoms, who to call. But I still felt the awkwardness around the topic as if schools would be happy to not talk about this at all. Do you see that? Um, and is this something that we can change? Right. It's, you know, I think that your, you know, our ability um, to talk about uh, mental illness and issues of depression, um, you know, this, it's, the need is really there. And I think that we need to, um, schools and particular students when they do a really good, lead, students lead the, um, really well in this particular area. When they open doors to create it to be okay to talk about these things with a trusted adult or with another student and have resources where it doesn't create a stigma if you need to go get help. You know, we've, we have this, this issue when someone, when someone hurts themselves physically, if you, if you break a wrist, it's very acceptable to go get help, right? It just is. Well, um, that's a broken wrist. And meantime, there's a lot of sometimes internal struggles people are going through that don't, they don't reach out and get support with. And then, by the way, some of these things actually lead to severe scenarios, whether that be, you know, some sort of uh, reaction to depression, sort of chemical dependency, or even something as tragic as suicide, which, by the way, is at an all-time high. And yet we still have a stigma that it's not okay for students to reach out and get help or students to actually tell somebody about a friend who needs help. I think we need a culture where this is acceptable and almost expected that we talk about this. And that's not going to be fixed via the teacher. That takes a teacher. That takes parents. That takes community. That takes leaders saying, this is how we do business around here. So it's a cultural shift. It absolutely is. You covered the the topic of school safety, and I know that's one of your main issues for this year and social media, and it was on one of your episodes the end of August. And I've always felt that social media and the advancements of technology are where all these problems began because we didn't have these problems and we didn't have the internet. Um, Then I listened to your episode that shift my thinking where you had your guests from bark.us talk about their company's technology and how they had an algorithm that avoided 16 credible school shooting threats. Can you share how you came across this technology and how you might see some innovative systems like this um, supporting our schools in the future? And how can we shift people's perspective to show that technology can solve some of these problems we're seeing with social media rather than just be the cause of them? Right. Um, and, you know, for, I, I'm actually really pleased. I told you about some, some worries I have about kids, and I, I really do. But um, I don't say that to define 
a problem that can't we can't improve. I do see, fortunately, school districts starting to lean in and um, a lot of creative um, strategies out there that we can take advantage of. So we see school districts all over now that have, you know, apps as it relates to, you know, you see something, you say something. So an ability for students and parents and community, if they see something, which can mean a lot of different things on on how they, you know, strategically reach out to get the word out so interventions can happen prior to any sort of incidents. But in the meantime, there are these incredible tools that are being developed. I, I was talking with right, uh, Ms. Jordan on the podcast because, you know, Bark is this great product, not just for school districts, but also families to have, you know, so that they can monitor and not please everything their kids are doing via social media, but... Um, there are certain things that we should know if there's some sort of dangerous scenario happening with our kids or their peers. And so, you know, that is a great product. There, But there are great companies that are doing this. The school districts can't do this on their own. Corporate partners are really important. So, you know, Gaggle is an incredible company that has saved lives, you know, throughout the country. And so, you know, Gaggle and Bark, and there, there are some resources and supports out there that we need to take advantage of, not just as school districts, but also as families. I know that I don't take any credit for this, but I'm fortunately to, forced to be married to a woman who does an amazing job engaging and policing um, so that she is well aware of what's happening with my kids with social media, right? So she's a little bit of a stalker herself, and she knows what our kids' friends are saying and doing, so to speak, and, you know, whether Life 180, which is an app where she tracks where our kids are and how fast they're going in their car, and yeah. it tracks all of that. There's incredible tools at our fingertips that can actually help us in ways we didn't have help before, and boy, do we need it in this weird world that we can't relate to of the dangers and opportunities that social media creates. So, I just think we can't, uh, we can't stop it, right? We have to do our best to be educated and somehow track it as best we can. And that's how I came across Bark. That's how I came across Gaggle, um, some of the things that my wife does with Life360. So there's just ways to do this. Uh, it intimidates me, but, you know, we do need to be learners, right? So that is our job even as parents. This is so reassuring to me because before I heard this, I was in the frame that my kids are not getting phones. And, and I know that's not going to work out because they have sports practices. Sometimes they call me from the gym and say, you know, mom, can you come get me earlier? Because they're the only ones without phones. Right, right. <laughs> I've got to change. And this was, it was so reassuring to hear that there's technology out there that I can use to keep them safe and then, keep us advancing and we're not in the dark ages. Well, it's true. And parents have that. They have to make their own decisions. So we, um, as parents, tried to hold out as long as we could. And, you know, we're glad we did. Uh, but in the meantime, you're not going to deny it forever because right. this is the world. Right. Um, so trying to help your kids learn how to navigate it and police it to a degree is still our jobs as parents, I believe. And so, um, and I see school districts now just partnering with some incredible corporates, you know, corporate innovations that's allowing school districts at large to do this. And so 
I really recommend something that was taboo even eight to 10 years ago. As a superintendent, I knew that we thought it would be great to police, but we're not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. And now we do, and thank goodness we do, because now we're getting information and data and allowing us to intervene with dangerous situations before they happen. And that is something that um, we should all pay attention to. And I admire school districts that are working to be innovative in this space. Absolutely. Jeff, what would be some parting thoughts with your experience the past few decades leading in education to impact long-lasting and sustainable change in today's schools? So what's your vision for leading ed solutions? Where are you going with this? Well, the, the, the overall vision for leading ed solutions is to create uh, models and supports and futures, some, some tools to um, help leaders tap into the collective wisdom of one another. Um, we are, there, there's so much great research, right? There's so much, quote, research practice. And, but in the meantime, I think we're also becoming, it's very easy to become overwhelmed and almost bloated with research and data on what to do and things are shifting and changing so quickly. And I think um, strategies to help leaders come together to truly deprivatize their practice, deprivatize really describes the ability to be vulnerable and talk about what's working and what's not working. And, you know, once again, create a collective wisdom so that we are helping one another. I think that Cynic is doing all this work right now around the infinite game. And if you, you know, I, I'm, I'm a huge Cynic fan from start with why, but the concept of the infinite game is we all need to constantly improve. And it's not a competition. Actually, in education, it should be quite the contrary. If we help one another improve, it just constantly fuels our supports for students. And that will always be based upon some level of relationship as opposed to just, you know, sending out really good articles and books, which are important. But what I think leading as solutions is forced to create the conditions so leaders are helping one another. Um, and... You know, we have a long way to go, but I'm very, very excited about our future. And in fact, uh, we're coming to Arizona. So um, our first gathering is in Scottsdale, Arizona next month, less than a month from now. And we have a group of superintendents coming together uh, for a couple of days to go through a roundtable process. We've been recruiting for that. Um, I'll actually send you the link and you can get it out there. You know, our website is leadingedsolutions.com, but we also have a landing page specifically for this gathering. Um, and actually, there are still a few spots left. So um, they have to go through a process. It's not just a sign up. Uh, but, you know, usually that entails a conversation with me to see if there's a right fit. And uh, it's going to be really exciting. And it's going to be a very different model, once again, aligned to issues of student safety. So for interested leaders, maybe even in your particular area, um, it may be a really interesting opportunity. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you so much, Jeff, for your time, your thoughts, and your ideas, and being so accessible for this conversation. And if there's any school superintendents listening, 
I'll put all the links in the show notes for them to click and see what, what your event is. And I just wonder what criteria you're looking for to join your inner circle. Is there something specific that would, would be yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because um, as I'm talking with superintendents uh, daily, uh, they're often wondering about how we come up with our, kind of our list or our participants. Um, you know, I believe that we want this to be a national model, so I don't want to just hold regional conferences because, you know, local relationships are really important. So relationships of leaders, superintendents in the state of Arizona, they're really important. And I don't, I, our job is to be a value add, to help people almost see beyond their local or state environment, to get leaders from all over the country in a very intimate setting to talk and to engage. Um, and there are small, medium, and large districts, part of this. This is not just about issues of, you know, size. We have small districts, medium, and large that are coming together because they're great leaders at every level. We have... Um, now, um, a couple of actually assistant superintendents who are, who are coming, there's a small group forming. So um, it is about really just a leader that has, you know, real tremendous responsibility that is willing to lean in and engage, which is why I have a conversation with every person who becomes part of this, part of our community. It's somebody who is not just interested in sometimes sitting and getting. Are you willing to sit and learn from and contribute to the kind of collaborative environment? And I will say that is my dissertation topic, this collaborative mo uh, models of educators and the impact that has on kids. And leaders have a really hard time collaborating, but when they do it, beautiful things happen. And so we're gonna create some beautiful things by getting the right leaders talking about the right things. Wonderful. Well, I'll put all the links, and if anyone wants to find you, there's the website. There's also your, you can find you on LinkedIn and at Dr. Jeff Rose on Twitter. And thank you so much for your time today, Jeff. Oh, I've had a blast. Thanks for the invitation, and uh, it's good to meet you kind of face-to-face -face via the computer, and I'm sure our paths will cross again soon. Absolutely. I wish you the best of luck with your, um, with your initiative with Leading Ed Solutions. Thank you very much. If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com.